This is Bias Bender, and I'm Kayla Stokes. Welcome to the next episode of this podcast where we are exploring the lives of Black women from the past and the present in order to imagine the future. This week's episode is about Sarah Spencer Washington and the beauty world, and later on, we are joined by Asia Malaya. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. This year, I haven't been super concerned about keeping up with my looks, <laughs> and that's mostly because there's not a lot of particularly glamorous places to go during a pandemic. And don't get me wrong, I have been loving dressing up for my trips to the grocery store, but it's just not the same, you know? While it has been maybe easier to not have big events to dress up for, I do miss getting gussied up every once in a while. So, this week I wanted to explore some beauty history. And, as you can imagine, there is a lot to talk about when it comes to Black women and the history of beauty. Mostly for two reasons. The first being that Black women are beautiful and have a long history of having fun with that beauty. And the second being that the beauty industry has helped so many Black women find economic success throughout the years. So, with that in mind, let's dive into one corner of that deep history with the story of Sarah Spencer Washington. Sarah was born on June 6, 1889 in Beckley, Virginia. To be honest, the accounts about her early life are a bit blurry and sometimes contradictory, but what I did pick up was that sometime in the early 20th century, she relocated to Atlantic City, New Jersey. Sarah opened a beauty shop there in 1913. Now, if I'm thinking about the Atlantic City of today, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as being very glamorous, but back in the early 1900s, it was the premier vacation resort in the New Jersey Philly area. Plays and musicals were performed there before heading to Broadway, the boardwalk was bustling with vacationers, and its nightlife was unmatched. So, Sarah's one-room beauty shop was surrounded by plenty of potential customers. And as she found success with her salon, it seems as though the entrepreneur bug really bit her. She expanded her salon to include a beauty school that trained students in beauty techniques. And on top of that, she began developing a beauty line of her own. By 1919, Sarah started her own company called Apex News and Hair Company. This is where she really found her stride. Over time, Sarah became known as Madam Sarah Spencer Washington, out of respect for her businesswoman's status. And honestly, I think the respect was rightfully earned. Her business grew and grew and grew. While in the beginning she took her cosmetic products door-to-door, she eventually was able to employ over 215 women and men to help run her beauty empire. The 30s and 40s were a really good time for Sarah and Apex. At its peak, Apex was manufacturing over 75 unique products from hair oils to lipsticks specifically marketed towards black women. In addition to the product lines, the company was involved with a lot of other successful pursuits and branches. The Apex schools of scientific beauty were scattered across the country and even had locations in Johannesburg, South Africa and in the Caribbean islands. While they were popular, the schools were responsible for graduating approximately 4,000 students a year. The students were taught beauty skills, how to best use Apex products, and business-savvy practices. 
Apex even had a magazine called Apex News, a farm called Apex Farm, and a recreational facility called, of course, Apex Rest. All of these endeavors helped to get the Apex News and Hair Company to the point where it was grossing over a million dollars a year starting in 1946. I think a lot of that success came directly from Sarah placing a lot of importance on promotional techniques. She knew how important the relationship with not only each customer, but the community at large was, so she established a public relations department within her organization that worked with other Black-owned businesses so that they could both thrive at the same time. So, since Sarah was at the helm of this beauty empire, she saw a lot of praise. In 1939, she was awarded a medal at the New York World's Fair as one of the most distinguished businesswomen. But even with all of her success, Sarah didn't forget about her community. She was a millionaire, but she didn't turn her nose up to the folks who helped her get where she ended up. In fact, she was incredibly involved in community work and local politics as a way to help Black folks thrive. She was lucky and savvy enough to have a business that survived the Depression, but she recognized that wasn't the case for many people. So, she was known to help folks with everyday needs such as buying coal. And then, when World War II broke out, she stepped up to the role of secretary and treasurer of the New Jersey Welfare Commission on the Conditions of the Urban Colored Population. I could go on listing all of her philanthropic efforts, but I think one of the most meaningful things she did was adopting her daughter. Her daughter was named Joan Washington Hayes, and Sarah raised her as her own. Not only did she provide a warm and comfortable life for her daughter, but Sarah also trained her to take over the apex reins. So, when Sarah passed away in 1953, Joan stepped right in and was ready to lead the business that her mother started. In this way, Sarah kept her business going past her death, and she passed along her wealth to the next generation. And that's what I learned about Sarah Spencer Washington. She really took her own success and made sure those around her benefited from it as well. I'm so glad I found her story, and I hope you enjoyed hearing it just as much as I enjoyed finding all the details. I know there are so many Black women who have been pioneers in the beauty world, and I'm sure we'll get to them down the line, but I'm glad that Sarah's story was the one we focused on this week because I really didn't know much about her until now. So now that we've talked about Sarah and her story, I think it's time to hear from someone who is involved in the beauty world today. We've come a long way since Sarah Spencer Washington's time, and to be honest, I'm not totally in tune with everything beauty and lifestyle related. But luckily, Asia Malaya is. Okay, I'm really excited to share with you all the nuggets of information that I received from Asia Malaya. So I'll just go ahead and let her introduce herself and what she's up to. So I'm Asia Malaya. I am an editorial assistant at Team Vogue. Uh, I report there on beauty and fashion. Um, and I also have my own personal brand where I hate the word influencer, but um, <laughs> I say I'm more of a woman of influence um, when it comes to, you know, beauty, fashion, fitness, all of those things. And yeah. So I first found Asia through her work at Teen Vogue. 
If you go to their website right now, you'll see that she has contributed quite a few articles throughout her time with them so far. So I wanted to know from Asia what her path to Teen Vogue looked like, and this is what she had to say. Um, oh, it's been a windy path of <laughs> years. So I've been interning and interning in the industry since like 2014, 2015, like five, six years. Um, since I was in school, I went to Hampton University and I always knew I wanted to work in the fashion industry. I was just, it was what I loved from when I was young and I honestly never knew a career existed in it. Mm -hmm. um, and my senior year of high school, I went to high school in New York. And so I was privileged to be able to, you know, be, just have access to all these things. And so we took a trip to People Magazine and I remember seeing the fashion closet and seeing people working there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how is this a job? I need to do this. And um, I quickly also realized in the same breath, like also none of these girls look like me. Mm. All these girls are white and they're like a size zero, size two, like they, they don't look like me. So I never really saw myself in a position like that. Um, and so when I went away to school, I didn't even major in it originally because I just felt like it wasn't realistic. And, you know, after my first semester at an HBCU and just realizing like, hey, are you really about to spend four years majoring in something that you truly don't want to do? I quickly snapped out of it. And I was like, hey, if this is what I want to do, I'm going to make a way. Like, I don't care how many internships I have to do, you know, what I have to do for free. Like, I'm going to make it work. And yeah, from then on, I just, I interned, you know, everybody from like New York Fashion Week, Essence Magazine, um, Hot 97, like I would intern at showrooms for designers. I was just like intern queen, volunteer queen. I didn't care about getting paid. I just wanted the experience. Um, and when I graduated, I interned at InStyle Magazine for a little over a year. I was with the editor in chief there. And um, after a little over a year, I just knew it was time to grow. I was like, okay, you know, I graduated over a year ago. Like, I I need something bigger. And I left there with no job. Mm -hmm. And I was three months just unemployed. And I just started feeling like, okay, I put all this work in. And I don't know, you know, where I'm going to end up next. And I, after those three months, I ended up at Teen Vogue the January after. Um, I had a friend who was at Condé Nast, who I sent my resume along and with her help along with um, the editor-in-chief of InStyle, once I told her, you know, where I was interviewing, she instantly reached out. And so I'm just, I really ended up there because of my network and the work that I even had put in to build that network. And yeah, January will be two years. I'm definitely impressed by Asia's drive to work towards something that she wanted for herself, even when she didn't have a clear role model of someone who looked like her at the time. I think it's a true testament to how much she wanted to find her own place in her industry. Next, I asked Asia what exactly she does at Teen Vogue with the title of editorial assistant. Well, this second year has been a lot different than my first year because of COVID and working from home. Um, but I will say that I'm very blessed to be in a position where um, Lindsay, our editor-in-chief, is who I, I assist her. She is just absolutely amazing. We have 
the best relationship I could have like ever asked for um, beyond my imagination. And she really wants me to win roots for my growth. And so I never feel stunted. So in, in addition to, you know, handling her schedule and making sure that her life is running smoothly, I also, you know, I get to do things when it comes to like events. Well, before um, COVID, of course, happened, mm-hmm. I would get to go to events for her. Um, and because I would like travel with her, I would get to like do the social media and stuff for like branded events we did. Um, I got to go to the Met Gala literally like five months into the job and do social media, um, which was like always amazing. Um, again, I cover beauty and fashion. Lately, I've really been more passionate about beauty and just reporting on stories, whether it's, you know, the latest product on the line, or I started a column uh, just this month on black beauty brand owners. And so that I'm very excited about because I'm talking to, you know, the woman behind the brands, the black woman behind the brands, and not just about the products that we all know and love, but about their stories and their journeys. And, you know, their first realization that they loved beauty from their childhood to even some of them like saying you know they didn't even hear about beauty in their households when they were children to now see how they are you know a part of the beauty industry as a black woman um and so I've just always been especially you know coming from telling you that I didn't see anybody who looked like me to then going to an HBCU and telling myself like no I'm gonna make it happen and now to have other women in the industry who look like me Mm. I just feel like, you know, as a young girl coming up in the industry, it, I would be doing myself, my community and the culture a disservice by not trying to put on for other women who look like me, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm here because women who look like me have helped me and continue to help me. And so I feel like that's a part of my job as well. And so I would say in the past two years, like launching that column has been the most meaningful to me. Um, but yeah, I, I literally do a little bit of everything, which, um, is amazing. Again, this year has been very different, um, because last year it was like, you're on a flight this month, you're going to this event, you know, Mm -hmm. covering this, this day, um, gift guides for this month. And so this year has been a lot different, but, um, I'm so, so grateful for what has came out of it. I've continued to grow, right? I've actually got to do more writing this year because, um, you know, it's less administrative stuff and traveling when we're away from the office. So yeah, I, I do a little bit of everything and I don't, um, I don't like typecast myself as editorial assistant because I'm grateful that I've never been boxed into that because a lot Mm. of editorial assistants don't do everything that I get to do. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful for um, the role that I'm in. This made me think about my experience growing up reading Teen Vogue and how exciting it is for Asia to be a part of the change specifically taking place within this publication. I grew up having a subscription to Teen Vogue since the very moment I was able to consider myself a teen. (laughs) I mean, I remember flipping through every single page religiously, but of course, No one in those pages looked quite like me because the magazine didn't really care to speak specifically to a little black girl like me. So, needless to say, I'm excited about Asia's new column that focuses on black beauty business owners. And this is what Asia had to say about that power of representation that she can already see having an impact. 
Yeah, I, I have a niece and she's 11. She'll be 12 next month, you know, and, you know, she sees everything I get and the life I live. And she's like, auntie, you know, I want to be a makeup artist and I want to do all these things. And I'm just like, you know, I can only imagine, you know, being that age and seeing black women and reading their stories about really, you know, having these businesses, it would just seem so much more realistic. I even, you know, imagine if I was the Asia who was, you know, like, what, 15, 16 years old, going to People Magazine, if I would have walked into what my office looks like now with a black editor in chief, her assistant, myself is black, the fashion director is black, the the entertainment director is black, the executive editor is a woman of color and just walking into that and seeing that and and you know like three of us on the team went to hbcus if i would have walked in and saw that as a senior in high school i would have never even questioned if i could see myself there and so you know it's it's just um it's a it it feels amazing to, to be in that role because now you know, when we have, when we were in the office, of course, when we have girls that come in, I'm like, wow, I remember when I was in that place and just being able to be in a position where they can see me here, even my niece, like my niece, like when she tells her friends, her aunt works at Teen Vogue, like they literally yeah. don't believe her. It's the funniest thing ever. They literally do not believe her. But um, yeah, it's really important. It's, and that's one of my favorite parts of the job. So the next thing I asked was about the challenges and unexpected things that Asia has encountered so far. Again, because this year has been so different, I would say like when I first started the job, um, just going to a lot of events, especially like the more I got into the job, I'm like, I really, you know, the more events you go to, the more people you meet, and that's how you build relationships and stuff. Um, it's, it was a little challenging for me to a lot of the times be, you know, the only black girl of or one of a few black girls in the room, you know, because like I said, in my office, you know, my like Lindsay is black. Uh, there's people on our team who are black. And I know that, you know, outside the office, that's not what it looks like, but it can be uncomfortable sometimes when, you know, you're at an event and you just sometimes feel like you don't fit in. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to fit in, mm-hmm. but it can be an uncomfortable feeling. Um, and I think sometimes that uh, has been like a bit challenging and a bit uncomfortable. I'm also on top of not being a white girl. Like I am not a size two. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that um, just in general has been, especially like, coming from an HBCU. I mean, I dealt with it a lot more at InStyle. And so when I started at Team Vogue, it wasn't as challenging because I built very thick skin there. But, you know, when you come from an HBCU and you just, you're surrounded around the culture and and so much, you know, there's so much diversity in being Black and everything. And you just really build this confidence and, it feels like, I wouldn't even say when you go into the world, it feels stripped away, but the industry specifically for me, I don't want to say my confidence was stripped away, but it definitely, I was humbled a lot. And from there, I wanted to know how she deals with feeling out of place when she's out at events and not in the comfort of her own office and support system. I mean, most of the time I just, I talk about it like, I say it out loud or even if like I'm talking to my friends, like I'll literally, I'll be at an event and say like, you know, I feel 
so out of place. If I really feel uncomfortable, you know, I remove myself. But it's never been anything that's so daunting to me that I feel like, you know, it's like affected me in a negative way. Mm-hmm. But um, that just like is one of the challenges. I think being able to name that feeling is really important. I've also found that in those situations where I feel like the only one who looks like me, it feels like everyone around me just wants me to be grateful to be there as opposed to saying anything about it. So saying something about it at all can be a powerful tool in itself. All right. Then I asked Asia who she looks up to. So I honestly, I had a really poor experience with looking up to people in the industry and then actually getting to work with them and seeing that they aren't who you think they are. And so Mm -hmm. I have a really troubling time looking up to people now. Um, But um, outside of that, I really, really admire Lindsay, who's my boss. Again, like I said, our relationship goes beyond work. Um, and just outside of being a boss as a person and like as like a big sister to me and mentor, she is just like literally the light of my life. Like I look up to Lindsay so much. And again, it's like beyond this industry stuff. Like I look up to her as a person, like just as a role model. Um, yeah, it's it, like she's about her work. Like, you know, she's still prioritizes her friends and her family like she really cares about me as a person as a human being like and she treats me as such out like in the office and out like that um like I always like say like Lindsay's my favorite person and I don't like take that lightly and I don't like joke around when I say that like Mm. she really is and um not only did she really like change my life with this position and that that in itself it's huge to be a black woman who changes a black girl's life. You know, I was, when I started working for Lindsay, I had just turned 23, like two weeks before then. Um, and so now she's literally been in my life for two years almost and beyond being a boss, but just like in my personal life, like she shows up for me. She cares for me. Like if I was to look up to anyone as a person, not even as a businesswoman or like in the industry as a person and just admire them is Lindsay hands down. I'm so glad that has been Asia's experience with her boss at Teen Vogue. For clarity, her name is Lindsay Peoples Wagner and she is currently the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. I suggest taking a look at Teen Vogue's video featuring Lindsay where she talks about her career journey to learn more about her. I'll have the link in the description of this episode. When I think about fashion magazines, I think about the devil wears Prada and mentors who tell you to kiss your own life goodbye in order to make it. It makes me think about my own time working in theater in New York City and how my friends and I really knew how to work ourselves into the ground for basically every waking second of the day. But there is something really powerful about having a mentor in your industry who not only tells you to take care of yourself, but helps you prioritize building a life outside of work in addition to building a career, because that can be really hard. (laughs) And of course, I had to ask Asia what her hopes are for the future and the future of her industry at large. I mean, for the industry at large, I just, I wanted to keep 
continuing to grow to be inclusive and not be tokenized you know i quickly realized when i got in the industry that a lot of this stuff is tokenism like they will not care about you but they will put you in a position or you know put this person on a cover or do whatever because it looks good and they know they need to um and you know it's sad that it's so much social social injustices and everything need to happen for a shift but i think that the industry really is finally shifting to become more inclusive um you know and be held accountable and for the industry overall you know especially me really wanting to be more in beauty now and you know the african-american dollar runs deep in the beauty industry and i think that we don't you know we never really got the recognition for that but i think now it's happening and so for industry at large i just hope that continues to happen and i want it to be authentic real raw like i want my people to get that paper and not because they feel like they need to be hired because they really you know love their talent and things like that and so i think the industry is going in a good direction for that and i hope that continues to happen um at large for me personally um i have like so many like goals for long term um but I really just, I made the mistake of being, when I was at InStyle, I focused so much on what I wanted to do in the future that mm. I failed to live in the present. And I feel like I missed out on a lot that way. And so now I really, you know, while I do have my goals and everything that I want to do for like myself and businesses and everything, um, I, while I'm actively working on that, I simultaneously just try to remain in a state of gratitude while I am where I am because when it's over, I don't want to look back and realize that I could have done so much more that could have catapulted my career even further had I had really took the time and did the work where I was at the time. Mm. And so me personally in my career, while I am working on future things that I want long-term, um, I really, really, really try to um, live in the present, work in the present and take advantage of the present so that, you know, my future goals can can even exceed my imagination because of the work I'm doing presently. I'm so glad I got to chat with Asia Malaya about her journey so far. It feels really good to connect with Black women who are working hard to make a difference, especially when it's in an industry that I don't know a ton about personally. It helps me to know that there is a brighter future coming because there are big things happening right now. And sometimes that big thing is a young Black girl reading an article and seeing someone who looks like her in her favorite publication. As always, I'd love to know what you think about this week's episode feel free to email me at biasbender at gmail.com or you can find the podcast on both Instagram and Facebook at biasbender. This week, I would love to know what your favorite beauty product is and why. For me, I feel like I have been trying to find the right curl cream for my entire life. (laughs) So I guess it's the most important thing for me. Anyway, this week, I am thinking about what it means to see ourselves in the beauty world. I mean, the name itself suggests that if you're not included in the narrative, you're not beautiful. And I know that is definitely not the case. 
So, I'm inspired by the world Sarah Spencer Washington was able to create through her beauty empire. And I'm so excited to see where Asia Malaya will go through her work writing about the current status of the beauty and fashion world. Thank you so much for listening. I use the following sources to research this week's episode. Everyday Black History's article on Sarah Spencer Washington. Stockton to Honor Two African-American Historical Figures by Nanette Lobiondo Galloway. The Atlantic City Experiences article on Sarah Spencer Washington. New Jersey Women's Histories article on Sarah Spencer Washington. Encyclopedia of New Jersey's articles on Sarah Spencer Washington and Apex Beauty Products Company by Barbara Polk Riley. Atlantic City Free Public Libraries page on Atlantic City History. Special thanks to Asia Malaya as always, original music by Autumn Westerman.